You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano on the Riotcast Network. is this week it's just me and Andy and Andy can actually play percussion <laughs> or maybe maybe Andy can play percussion welcome to Van Geek Man <laughs> You know what the problem I said was I said in, when Muff gets this some because you know percussion is there's a lot of world music and like you know especially all these like percussion kits right like when you get like a percussion library right. a, there's a lot of world mm-hmm. music instruments in like there. that yeah yeah well, we we explored that last time I'm not gonna make the bangy right, listeners no, listen because no. we went through every sound on the thing Great. last week yeah um, but uh, I said you know Muff's gonna find some way to to make this you know horribly inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> with all the all the different ethnic you know instruments, so uh, I'm here today with Andy Ascalise as my co-host. Hello, and we have a really interesting thing to discuss today, um, and it's a question that I think people are sort of, or not a question, a subject that people are sort of mystified by, and that is in-ear monitors. Hmm. Um, and Andy is an expert on in-ear monitors. Um, Aside from being, uh, you know, wonderfully talented multi instrumentalist, uh, producer, writer, singer, all the wonderful things that Andy does, he also hand sonic performer. Hands, yeah. Uh, yes. Hand. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to work a hand job joke in somehow. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> it's nice. Hey, rub a quick beat out for me. No. <laughs> That's the best thing I can come up with. So, you know, another thing that's great about having Andy on the show is that he thinks my jokes are funny, so it's, it's awesome. Um, no, but aside from all the amazing performance things that Andy does, he's also a... He, he works as Blue Oyster Cult's in-ear monitor engineer. So, before we get into that, I'm going to talk about the genesis of Blue Oyster Cult using in-ear monitors. Because um, this happened before you started working yes. with us. I joined the band, like I said, in many, many times, uh, 2004. And it was my job to sing all the high parts. Don, you know, would sing the, the middle parts. Eric would sing the low parts. And I would sing the high parts. So, you know. And what part were you singing? Like. I can't see no reason to put up a fight. I'll never forget what the devil is doing. 
So I would sing, I'd sing all those high parts, you know. And back then, uh, Don would have, Donald Buck Donald Rosa would have, you know, a stereo Marshall stack rig behind me blasting, right? Right, because you were playing bass. You were on that side. I was on that side of the stage. So I have my SVT 8x10, <laughs> yeah, you know. Right. He's got four twelves, and we're loud. You know what I mean? We used to be very, very loud. So you and, got 12 speakers behind yeah, you. <laughs> and, and blasting, like rock and roll. And, and everybody's singing like in their range. And I have to go, you know, la, 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 la. And, I, and at that point, wedges aren't going to help you. When you're not, like, you know, I'm, I'm singing falsetto. I can't project the notes. And mm-hmm. no matter how loud, I'm like, also like, I started doing this weird thing when I was looking at myself in videos, I'm angling my whole head like 45 degrees <laughs> just to try to hear the wedge while I'm going like, you know, right. when I'm hearing like, you know, in, in, the, in the back of me. And everybody else who's singing in their full chest range, they have the projection and it's popping back at them through the floor wedges. Now, what are floor wedges? Floor wedges are speakers that are... Um, at an angle that have your own specialized mix in there, right? The, 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 yeah. what, what's the angle of a floor wedge? Like another 45 sort of? Yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly. There's, there's different ones. And, yeah, the and people wedges, like them facing different way. Yeah, on, on a standard um, you know, concert stage, you know, especially, say, like 10 years ago, um, you'd have fl- uh, floor wedges, uh, which are these monitor speakers, and that's those boxes you see in front of the... the um, artists and i'm i'm assuming that people listening not everybody is an audio professional or a musical music industry professional so this might be enlightening to some people so i'm going to try to cover everything but um uh so you see the boxes that stand in front of the uh musicians and those at an angle are basically designed to shoot sound right at the person's head um and that they have most of the time they have their own special mix in there but not always like especially on the um, like when you do more local things and you go play at a, a club, there'll be like you know a, a mix for the drummer, a mix for the front, and, and that's it. That's it. You know what I mean? So then you're sharing a, a mix with all the singers, and you're basically having a volume war with them, fighting for who can be the loudest in that monitor. Basically, uh, musicians could hear what they're playing from their amps, but singers can hear what they're singing. Mm-hmm. So this is basically an an amp for their microphone, so they could hear what they're singing. That was perfectly said. That was amazing. Um, so that's what it was. And also you had side fills, which were bigger, like speaker stacks on the side of the stages, blowing sound at you. Mm-hmm. And usually what people would put through there is the drums. Right. Mostly, or like if it was keyboards, like any non-amplified uh, instruments would go through the side fills, vocal would go through the front fills. And um, that's that's how that would work. It's kind of like, uh, especially with big stages, the drums are like in the center. When you go to the sides, you don't really hear the drums and feel them that much. So right. That's why they're on the side. Now, like I said, the problem with this is it's hard to hear what you're singing. And um, the louder, obviously, anybody who's ever used a microphone, the louder you make the, the floor monitor, the more likely you are to get feedback. So that's a big problem. And just noise. Yeah. And it's also really hard... Um, when when the guitarists in in particular don't have a good way of hearing themselves, what they do is they turn up, and it escalates, and then everybody else turns up. The drummer plays louder, and that's why you know when you go to a club and see a band, it's blisteringly loud. Right. Because um, most people say it's guitar player's fault, and you know what? Like I'll I'll agree with that to a certain extent. 
I, I mean, I never felt like I was a, a volume queen. I mean, Andy, we how many gigs have we done? <laughs> Do, am I am I stupidly loud when we play? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I I try not to be like, but All the right. thing is like, whenever we'd play a club, my dad would be in the it's, audience and he'd be giving me the. Uh, Turn it up. Right. It's, it's tough because a lot of places you play at don't have good sound systems and they're not acoustically treated correctly. Mm-hmm. So you could only play drums so quiet. That's another thing. And and if you have, you know, loud cymbals and stuff, you know, it's going to increase the volume of everything else. Yeah, without completely sapping the energy from the instrument, you can only play the drums at a certain volume and it's not going to get any quieter than that. So the guitar players adjust to that and then... It makes it difficult for the singers to hear. Uh, it's it's very difficult. And being bass a, and bass players are, are kind of they could be loud because it's not very harsh against your ears. Right. Um, also, usually the lower frequencies don't uh, interfere with the vocal range. But uh, another problem with having a very loud bass amp on the stage is it throws off your pitch. Right. Because if you if you're hearing the bass and it's resonating in a weird spot or you're in a weird place on stage. You're going to hear something and sing to what you think is the right pitch based on the bass. But if it's so loud, you really can't tell what you're singing. Right. So there's all these different problems um, with having regular speakers on stage as monitors for the singers to hear. Um, And, you know, contrary to popular belief, you need... Well, I don't know if it's popular belief, (laughs) but you need to hear yourself if you're singing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So what I did... When I was on the road with, when I first started playing with the band, and they had floor wedges, I threw a little diva tantrum, uh, which was, I said, I need in-ear monitors. And they said, that's out of the question, forget it. And I said, listen, I don't know how Danny used to do this, but I can't hear myself. I said, I'm not going to ask the boss to turn down, you know what I mean? And and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not singing in tune. Like all night long because right. I, I can't hear a note I'm singing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what I ended up doing is um, I brought my own monitor system. Now, you and I, Andy, had – when we were playing our own club gigs, we had our own in-ear monitor system yep. that we sort of cobbled together out of a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a Carvin one, right? Yeah. So did you at for originally. Yeah, I got and then rid it of it. never worked. <laughs> yeah, the Carvin thing sucked, but – uh, we used to have these Shure PSM 200, uh, 400 systems, and th- these are great. And they discontinued this. You can't yeah, get this anymore. I know. Which is sad because it's so good. Mm-hmm. Or the 200. The, one of them, the, the, the 200 is discontinued. Right. Something but like that. what this is is a self-contained box. And usually when you want to do an in-ear monitor setup for a band, you need a staggering amount of gear. Uh, what this is, it's a little self-contained guy. So you plug your microphone into it. And you take the output of it and goes to the PA, and it doesn't affect the PA. Right. It's basically like, a built-in split. Yeah. So it's whatever you do with your volume in your ears, you know, it also transmits to your ears so you can hear it. And whatever you do there doesn't affect the PA. And that's easy. Well, that's basically adding one extra cable to your signal path. Right. And you have in your monitors. Now, it's not great because you only have a few things. You can only plug like two to four things in there. Mm-hmm. You can plug. So if you're a keyboard player, for example, you plug your mic uh, and your keyboard mixer in there, and maybe keep a little ambient mic so you can hear some right. somebody else. And that's what I did uh, when I first started doing it. I had my vocal mic, my bass, and that's what we did in that's what we did in playing local gigs in clubs, yeah. and stuff. So you, you so so you just brought that rig on the road, basically. Right. <laughs> 
And um, so we just had that, and I brought my club rig that we were using. And, uh, oh, grasshopper. Andy just killed a mosquito. Uh, yes, it's summer in the swamps of Staten Island. <laughs> and uh, so I brought that, and I remember Jack Secret was my roadie at the time, and he wasn't too thrilled with having to set up all that crap every night. But I had my vocal, my bass, and I had a Audio-Technica 4033 right by where where the wedge would usually go. Okay. And that so was picking up... Everything. Everything. I had a little Don. I had a little drums. And I and th- that was my three things that and I And that's pretty cool because then that's like what you're used to hearing. Just from, with from more that, of me. From that position. Right. You're used to hearing the drums and the guitar with that in that position. Now um, now I notice some of the bigger bands with the uh, touring in your monitor rigs, they still have that little ambient stage mic and they can mix that in a little bit. They have stereo usually. That's nice. Um, so I did that, and then I moved over to keyboards, and then it got a lot more complicated because I had three keyboards and guitar and vocal. Right. So I had to have two vocals go through the thing. I had to have uh, my guitar and like an output from the keyboard mixer, which was right. a big pain in the ass, um, until um, Andrew Gearhart started working for us. And you know, um, I was using the ears, and then Don sort of got curious because he was seeing a lot of other bands of mm-hmm. you know contemporaries to Blue Oyster Cult in that you know genre starting to use the inner monitors and he's like why aren't we doing it right and basically he put his foot down and got the whole band on him well it was a slow transition right he it, when when i first started subbing with you guys it was just you had your own setup yep, yep. and then don had one in ear pack and that was it i don't remember that yeah wow. eric was still on wedges oh, rudy never used in ears he hated them rudy never used in ears uh, Eric was still on Wedge, and Jules was still on Wedge. Interesting. Um, and it took me a while to transition off my own system because I really, I, I, I had a problem with a lot of the local house monitor guys. Like mm-hmm. I just, I didn't want to have to like flag somebody down in the middle of a show to 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 say, oh, I'm on keyboard now, I'm on guitar now. You know right. what I mean? And then not hear what I was playing for the first minute of a song. Mm-hmm. That's that you can't you can't do it. So I just mixed myself and it was fine. But um, once the rest of the band slowly got on in-ears, uh, Andrew Gearhart, who was a tech, and, and sort of took it upon himself to mix the in-ears, because when we started, we um, no one was mixing them. The house guy would mix them. Right. Whatever local uh, crew guy would mix them. And they were okay, you know, uh, but it wasn't great because it wasn't really a customized thing. Um, but Andrew Gearhart... Mixing, mixing wedges and mixing ears are two very different things. Yeah, yeah. So you can really screw somebody with, with in-ears. Because um, you're, you're in the little bubble. Yeah, you're, you're in their brain. You have direct yeah. injection into their brain. So when... Uh, what happened? Was it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brandy's upstairs. I hope she's okay. She's okay. okay. All right. Um, so, you know, what Andrew did, he was just a guitar tech but he sort of got bored with that and um, then would take it upon himself to go over and mix the monitors because he's an engineer and um, and they were great and, and everybody liked it and I was still a holdout I didn't want my own I, I wanted, didn't want him touching my ears but then after a while he was like listen I promise you it will not suck if it sucks I'll put your old system back right and that'll be that well he had to set that up too yeah that <laughs> so was, that, that was like... cutting into his uh, his setup time so he uh well, it was cutting into his prepping the ears for everyone else time. Yeah, I had to set up my stupid little, <laughs> you know, homemade setup. 
So eventually I switched over to him and, and it was great, you know, because I went from having just me in my ears to having the whole band. Um, but so then he moved on to other things and then you uh, took over. N- not immediately. Not immediately. Because I told you not to. <laughs> I said, Andy, do not do this. I said, this is a bad idea. I said, They're gonna, you're going to have everybody yelling at you all night long. But Andy, you know, against my, my counsel... He decided to do it, and it was, it's basically the 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 gist is is that I could either keep on running back and forth to the house guy and telling him this person needs more of this, this person needs less of this, this person switching instruments, this person's doing this, or I could just stand there behind and do it myself. But what I want to what I want to point out here is because of your um, advanced and expansive musicality and musical knowledge, your mix is so amazing. And <laughs> and I think everybody agrees with that. Um, it's like, because Andy, and also Andy's played these songs on four different positions in the band. He knows all these songs, what happens. He knows, from just perspective, he knows what the drummer is going to need to hear at a certain point, and will just anticipate that. And it's crazy, you know what I mean? Like he'll 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 fly cues into different people's ears for different spots, mm-hmm. you know. And and he's actively mixing. And and apart from that, the 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 tonal quality of everything sounds like I'm listening to you know a record, <laughs> like you know a BOC live, like Thanks. like a studio mixed thing. So I think uh, part of it is that I've been on the other side. I've been on stage. Yeah, that's what I just with said. With the with with the ears in, and. When you're wearing them, it it doesn't sound like a good mix. Mm-hmm. Or when you're no, when you're not, if you're singing in front of the mic, it, it'll sound great. And then if you step back and someone else is singing in front of the mic, yeah. it sounds wrong. So you gotta be there. And you do gotta it be. You gotta be. You gotta think differently. Mm-hmm. Because you know these things that you have in your ears now. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that, but. Uh, you know, they're almost like earplugs, so you hear your voice in your head. Yeah, just like if you stick your fingers in like your ear you and talk. Your, right. Yeah, so so you're already starting with that, and then it has to go from there. The whole mix, it's 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 weird. It's not it's not like a normal sounding thing. Like if I put it, if I listen to your mix, it doesn't sound like a record. Right. You know. Because because you're not compensating for the 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 finger in the ear effect. Exactly. And playing, and when you're playing an instrument, it's going to have to be a little bit louder than it would if you were listening to a record. Right. Because you need to feel it and hear it the right way. So let's, now that I've given you this long intro, <laughs> um, let's talk about in-ear monitors and, and what the whole system is and how it works. And, and, and I'm going to just toss it over to you right now. Like, let's talk about the standard any your monitor package that you that anybody would see at a concert and, and take us through it. All right. So basically, in ear monitors are headphones, but they're stealthy looking headphones that you you don't really he- see, you know. And they're designed to cancel out noise. They're designed to cancel out noise. Some of them have foam in them, like uh, earplugs, mm-hmm. like earplugs. Uh, some of them are custom molded, and uh, basically. That every everyone has their own kind of personal uh, choice when it comes to that. There's a lot of products on the market for earbuds, and they need to be designed for an in-ear monitor application. You can't really use like your iPhone headphones for that. They're not designed for that. I mean, there are sort of 
middle of the road ones that you can get away with and like you can buy on Amazon, which for example, if you want to buy any of your monitors <laughs> on Amazon, um, go to riotcast.com slash bandgeek, hit the Amazon banner at the top and do your normal shopping and then a small percentage of your purchase goes to supporting our show. doesn't cost you anything extra and we love you for it. So thank you very much. Continue, Andy. All right. So... Uh... What was I talking about? <laughs> uh, um, different. Um, yes. You, you can't use buds. You can't, you can't, buds, you like can't, you can't use buds. iPhone buds. Those are designed for listening to music yeah. that have been, that's been uh, mixed and produced and uh, mastered, yeah. really, really. That it's set at a level that um, coming out of a mixing console, you just won't get. Right. Um, so that's the first thing. You need to get... A real set of in ears. Now, buds. let's let's talk about the different kinds of in ears because um, they they have different EQs, like different EQ curves right. for different instrumentalists. Yes. Well, in, so what's so that let's about? See, there's um, I guess the in ears started coming out in like the '90s, and in the past, I think ten years, there's been like a lot of companies like coming out that ha- that specialize in this because yeah. it's such a big market. So for because example, you have- especially now that local that uh, you know, local people are using it, not just professionals yeah. on big tours. Right. Because you said like we a have bar- uh, I see bar bands with full racks of in ears now. Yeah. So and you have um, Ultimate Ears, that that's one of the popular ones. Um, JH Audio Audio um, Future Sonic Future Sonic Sensophonic uh, <laughs> um, Future Sonic, Sense of Phonic, uh, West Tone, West Tone, um, 1964, 1964. I'm sure I'm forgetting uh, a lot of Sure, them. Sure is, is probably the biggest one. Um, Audio Technica makes them now. Audio Technica, sponsor of Band Geek. <laughs> um, and you know, there's a variety of of uh, different types you can get. But what they do is normally, like the cheaper ones, will have the smiley face curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that is, is if you've ever seen an EQ on an old style stereo people always do the smiley face or on your car for right. example people suck all the mid-range out <laughs> boost the treble and boost it sounds nice because it gives it like a hyped nice sound which is cool for some things like sometimes maybe a drummer likes that you know what I mean because it's it's giving emphasis on what he's doing mm-hmm. you know, hi-hat and, and, and not making the drum. snare too obnoxious in his head you know because he's probably got plenty of that no matter even if he has he's, he's, sit, he's sitting in right yeah, in front of it even if he has it in, in you know his ears but um so, you know, they have that flat curve, which is nice for listening to music and nice for, um, you know, playing certain instruments. But if you're singing, if you're singing, you need those frequencies that the smiley face is, is cutting out. Um, so then you want to get something with a little bit maybe of a bump in the middle or, or flat. Or, or flat. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's me. I like something with uh, with less high end. Right. I like I, I, I'm a fan of treble, but in my right directly in my ears, I, I don't want I don't want it. It yeah. it drives me crazy. It makes me it also makes me scared that I'm gonna like blow out my my ears with them. It makes me more right. sensitive. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like I have personally have a hypersensitivity to treble. I don't know why. Yeah. But um, so there's different kinds, and then um, the more expensive you get, they add more tiny little speakers inside the enclosure of the in ear monitor. Right. So let's go to that. Let's uh. Okay. So we're talking about. Inexpensive, you could probably get a pair for $150, yeah. like the cheap Shure ones. And Those are 200 bucks, like the, the entry-level Shures that are acceptable for uh, any of your monitors. And, and they, 
they're universal fit. Mm-hmm. They have uh, foam or rubber tips. Yeah, multiple different uh, interchangeable sizes. Different sizes, and you just put them in, and you're good to go. Whatever fits sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, then you go up to a $500 range, mm-hmm. and uh, Sure makes a $500 range. One, Still two. universal. Still right. universal, but then at $500, then you start getting into the custom-molded earbuds. Mm-hmm. And now what you do for that is you go to an audiologist and they take a mold of your ear with some sort of silicone foam, yeah. something like that. Uh, basically, they put, they put like silly putty in your ear, basically. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's the same process that uh, you use if you are getting uh, hearing aids. Right. So they, they uh, take a mold, audiologist takes a mold, and then you send it to any of the companies that we were talking about that makes custom uh, molded earbuds. And then uh, the idea is that those fit in your ear, super perfect. You don't have to worry about foams, tips, and, but you can't share them because they're custom molded to you. Right. And, and if you have a really good mold, you'll get a, you'll get a seal yeah. where you can't really... It'll block out all the, the stage volume. Well, not all of it, but a good percentage of the stage volume. Yeah. I don't think anything exists that blocks out all the stage volume. The other idea is that they're easy to put in and out and right. they're comfortable. And that's that's the idea with the custom molded in-ears. Now, Andy likes molds. I like molds. I used to like molds until I developed some sort of ear problem. <laughs> no, I, I like my first pair of molded. I, I had like two or three pair of molded in-ears that I loved. And then um, something happened. Didn't where... you also have an adapter kind no, yeah. of thing? My first one I had a sleeve. Yeah, I had a sleeve, uh, Sensophonics, maybe a sleeve that went over the the uh, standard Shores mm-hmm. that made that gave like the Shores a molded fit. Right, those were great. Um, but then I don't know what happened. Like they say, your ears and nose never stop growing, um, and so also molds have a shelf life. Like you need to get new molds every what three or four years. Yeah, you could probably extend it, but they do get a little uncomfortable over time because your ear canal does grow. So something happened with one of my ears where it grew in an odd way, and I went to um, an audiologist, and I got like several different molds, wouldn't fit me. I wasn't getting a seal in one of my ears. Like, like in other words, one ear was perfect. I didn't hear it. Like, I heard maybe it blocked out, let's say, 90% of the stage volume, mm-hmm. and in the other ear, it was only 50% of the stage volume. Right. So that's... That's very disorienting. You walk around like you feel dizzy all the time. The equilibrium's off. Exactly. And then I went to the ear doctor, the, the ENT, and I got like a full test. And she was like, you have a misshapen ear canal. I'm like, <laughs> oh, great. So at least at least it validated me because I remember all, like I sent a, I sent a set of ears back to one of the companies nine times. And, 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 and you and all the guys in the band were like, what's wrong, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm not crazy. It's not working. And then finally, like when the ear doctor was like, you have, it's like a, you have like a misshapen canal. I was like, aha. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. And the thing about in-ears is, yeah, to get in there, you, you're going to pay $150 and up. And I mean and up. Like, what's the most expensive set of in-ear, um, well, just the buds? Well, we'll keep on going now. Uh, so you, $500 range, you could start getting your custom molded earbuds from right. one of these companies. And like you said, they'll have like, uh, the ones I use have three speakers yeah. in each. They're called drivers. Uh, in each yeah. uh, earbud. And it's like two for the low end and one for the high end. Mm-hmm. And then you could go up to, uh, I think, something like, eight or 16 i don't even know how many little spot like that yeah and they just and 
And they go like, up to like $1,800, $2,000. $3,000, yeah, you can keep on going. For headphones. These are, like Andy said, essentially headphones that go inside your ear. And canal. some, and you could even, uh, there's one company that makes one that you could actually EQ it the way you want. Really? Yeah. What company is that? Ultimate Ears. Oh, they make, you can like make yeah. your own little EQ? Yeah. And, and they, yeah. they write it into the... Uh, exactly. Into wow. the Into the little chip that's in there, I guess. That's pretty awesome. And you could always, and you could also buy uh, earplugs, custom molded earplugs from these companies too that have different little uh, uh, decibel uh, levels of, uh, but it's even. But they've also, they've also combined those two technologies because now they make um, in-ear, you know, headphones that have filters in them that right. you can choose how much noise reduction you want from the outside right. environment. So they're basically earplugs, but you could control what you want. There's also digital ones too. Oh man! That you could you 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 uh, just earplugs, and you could if you know you're on like a noisy train, and you could just like lower the volume, <laughs> you know. Oh, God. That's amazing. Is that what Don has? That yeah, crazy and, and you could like add reverb and stuff if you want. Oh, I love that. Um, so there's a lot of options now. Just because I what I learned, uh, just because you want to move up into the higher end of things, you don't have to get molds. You can still right. like like some people are freaked out by molds, mm-hmm. so you could still get a universal one, mm-hmm. and and like a lot of the companies will make a, a generic tip to put on those. Um, so that's the that's where it starts, and you really need to have something good, and you can't you can't skimp out there. Like the yeah. the more money you spend, the better it's going to sound. Like if you like like Andy said, don't get iPhone uh, headphones, don't get anything consumer. Because if you go consumer, it's not like you have to get the high end of the consumer and make sure it has a flat response. Because if it doesn't, you're going to get that weird smiley face curve. You're again. better off getting the low end of the yeah. professional market. Get the cheapest pro ones instead of the most expensive consumer ones. Right. So, okay, that's that's what goes in your ear. What's next? So then uh, there's a wireless pack that's connected to a wireless unit by a mixing console. And if you go to a concert... Uh, and you see all the uh, performers on stage uh, looking to the side of the stage and making faces and sometimes yelling <laughs> and uh, making l- large hand movements. Uh, there's usually a guy sit- standing there, and that guy's usually me, uh, <laughs> with a mixing console like the exact one, usually as the person out in the audience that is mixing the concert that the audience is hearing. So what actually, how that actually works is that you plug all the microphones and all the keyboards and everything into a snake box on the stage. A snake box is, is just uh, something with a bunch of holes in it and attached to wires. <laughs> <laughs> right, pretty much. So all the microphones get connected to the snake box and now the snake box goes to... Uh, the mixing board in the audience mm-hmm. and that's what you hear and and then the person mixes all the all the microphones and then you hear it out of the speakers yeah so it's basically a very long extension cord <laughs> and now uh with all the monitor desks that's the same thing is that that same snake box now gets split and every single microphone also goes to the person on the side of the stage Mixing the monitors for all the musicians. Now, back in the day, they had um, when when I was doing sound in the analog days, split boxes were analog, and the front of house engineer had a front of house console with faders 
And the monitor engineer had a different monitor console with just knobs on it. Right. Um, now, are is there a different protocol now that all the boards are digital? Or no. is it still like an analog split? Like, um, Well, there's still, there's still analog splits. And uh, we could even split it again, mm-hmm. too, if you're doing something with television or broadcasting or right. recording. You'll have a third split from that all the microphones and that'll go into a room or a truck if you're recording it or you're broadcasting it think, and someone else is mixing that think about think about it this way you know how if, if you're not a technical person here's the easy way to think about it you got your phone right you want to listen to music on it you plug your headphones into it that's it then you're just listening to it you want someone else you need a headphone splitter right, right. and then one side goes to you one side goes to the other you guys are both hearing the same thing and you could do whatever you want um it's the same principle Except it's we're doing it times thirty or whatever. Right, thirty microphones. Yeah, um, and the and person A can do whatever he wants with that information. It has nothing to do with what person A is doing. Right now, how does it work when you share phantom power? Uh, that's just a technical thing. That's not really a uh, one person has to share the phantom power. So not now phantom power um, is. Um, it's a lot cooler than it sounds. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not as cool as it sounds, I should say. <laughs> Certain microphones require a, a voltage to be sent through the microphone cable from the mixing console. Um, now, normally, you would think if the split is going from two places, what you know, do, do both have to supply power? No. No, and they can't. Only be- one has to supply power. Because they're power. connecting to the same microphone. Right, so... As long as as long as the mic is getting powered from somewhere, it'll transmit audio to both locations. That's that's correct. Yep. So okay, so now we've taken all the drums, we've mic'd them up, all the guitars, the keyboards, all the vocals. Uh, all you know, they're going into the snake box. One uh, one copy of that. Let's say there's 24 channels, right? right. 24 different mm-hmm. things. Yeah. One copy of that 24 channels is going to the to the front of house guy who mixes the show that the people hear. The audience, hears. right? The other 24 go to the monitor guy, and he mixes his own show, but he has to do six, <laughs> six different more, or, five, or more different mixes. Eight, 20. Right. So, and, and also, the, the front of house guy is mixing to his taste and mixing to what he thinks sounds good. The monitor guy might have six totally different, wacky, crappy-sounding <laughs> mixes, and everybody would be really happy. Like, yeah, sounds great. Cause it's... Now, talk about that for a second. All right. Um, well... It's funny, we were talking about this for the podcast, because it's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. When we record the podcast, uh, we all have our own mixes, and we all have our headphones in. And basically, the way you mix uh, a monitor mix for someone, or a studio mix, um, is basically you put their level, as their microphone volume as loud as they want it. And then you go from there because that's going to be the loudest thing in the mix. So whereas you have um, the easiest example of that uh, difference from monitors to uh, front of house, which is what the audience listens to, um, is basically if you're singing a background vocal, it's not going to be that loud in the front of house mix. What the audience is hearing, it's going to be in the background. But in your monitors... That needs to be louder than the lead vocal, right? So that's why it, it's it's a little weird to listen to the monitor mixes. But you ha- but you have to, as a monitor engineer, you have to think about 
obviously this person needs to hear them singing, but they still need to hear the lead vocal, but not that loud. Now, I think a lot of people, a lot of problems that monitor engineers have is they sort of do what sounds good in their ears, and that's not necessarily the gig. That's not the gig at all, actually. It's, right. It's, you have to do... You have to make some completely unreasonable mix moves mm-hmm. that might seem completely just whack to you. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I could go through everyone's monitor mix. All right, well, let's, you let know? me ask you a question without without insulting anybody. Who has who has the uh, the the wackiest mix no, in, not, in, in, uh, in your opinion? Like something that sounds like when you're at the board, you're like, really? That's what you want to hear? No, no one really has any any wacky mixes. If you think about it the right way Mm -hmm. you know so your mix it's your vocal is very loud your guitar is very loud Mm -hmm. and then everything else is a lot lower it's the richie show yeah that's how i mix the podcast (laughs) (laughs) but to play that's what you need but i i still give you drums Mm -hmm. and you still hear you know the kick drum because you gotta lock in with that and uh, when you and Don are, uh, you and Buck are playing, you know, guitar harmonies and stuff, I'll I'll push him up a little bit so you could hear, so you How can match, so you How can match it, because you're gonna need to hear that. Um, and it sounds weird. Well, you, you now you told me that Buck has a very involved mix. Like he has like his mix sounds like a record. He does. We have a lot of uh, all all the mixes, by the way, that we that I mix are with the in ears are stereo. Okay. Uh, so which, it's actually double the amount of mixes. Well, it's the same it. mix, but yeah. it's just panning. Right. So, uh, you know, I'll put, you know, the two, sometimes you see two mics over the drums. Those are overhead. So those will be panned left and right. Yeah. Sometimes when people uh, play organ, they like a nice stereo spread yeah. with uh, a Leslie cabinet, even though we don't really do that. We no. did for a little bit. And then um, stuff like that. Uh, Buck has an effects unit that is very uh a lot of delays and choruses that are all stereo right so his mix is going to have him and his stereo guitar so it's sounding you know it's going back and forth left and right it sounds really great then on top of that then i'm gonna or under that i'm gonna put the drums which i put in stereo i pan all the toms a little bit to give it a nice stereo feel but what he likes the best is he likes to separate all the vocals based on where he's standing on the stage. Wow. So Chasm is to his left. So Kaz's vocal is just coming into his left ear. That's so he can tell who's singing the wrong note faster. <laughs> when, and then you're on the right side, on his right. Mm-hmm. So it's panned to the right. So you're all, when you sing... It's only coming into his right ear. When Kaz sings, it's only coming into his left ear. So when I walk behind Don on stage, are you panning me <laughs> I as, am I, not. as I walk I am behind him? You that, should do that. I should do that. You need like a joystick or something. That you and can... the same thing with your guitar and the keyboards. It's all on that side. Really? So that so his mix is very open sounding because nothing. it's not too cluttered. It's all kind of spread apart. I hate stereo in, 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 yeah. in ears. It, it I it distracts me because it sounds nice. <laughs> like like I, I almost want... Jo- I just... I sort of want like a utilitarian mix. Like I need what I need to hear to play in time and sing in tune. That's it's like my the thing I'm I'm trying to get. Um, I I I stereoify your mix a little yeah. bit too. But the thing is, is that your vocal is so loud, which but it's supposed to be. <laughs> uh, that that kind of loses kind of the sep the the 
the separation of the stereo because your mic is picking up everything and it's a mono. It's right up the center. It's mono. So it's like having a, 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 a mono amb- room mic. Yeah, an ambience mic. Uh, very loud. But what you said before is true because when I'm singing into the microphone, and, and you know, this happened when we were doing Encore, because um, I, I was mixing the show and, and I was listening to my mix. Right. Like, I didn't have my own mix that night. I had to mix the show and not have my own mix. So my mix was the one the audience heard. And and I noticed everybody was like, you're so loud, your vocal's so loud. Like, and it doesn't seem that way. Right. But you just want to, you need to hear yourself, yeah. you know? And if you put, if you well, put Well, like you, I said, you have to hear yourself over yourself. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, the, that's the weird part. Yep. So another thing that's really interesting and, and sort of nice, because when, when, I, when I mixed, when I used to fill in for Woody Mixing Blowers to call, we had analog desks. But now there are digital desks, or desk is another word for a mixing board or a console, that have um, SD card slots in them. Or USB drives. Uh, How great is that? They're USB, but the best is the um, <laughs> the Yamaha PM5D uses a compact flash card with a PCIe adapter. <laughs> what? And, and this is a new like contemporary. Well, it's you know. Oh, people still it's use old, it. but it's it's a very popular unit. It's hilarious. So you travel with like a little collection of. I uh, do with USB. Uh, Little thumb drives and stuff, and I have files from all the say, all the shows. Now, let me ask you this question: When you go to mix a show, um, I'm sure it, it can't be exactly the same because the microphones are different, the Correct. games are different. So, like, how much work do you have to do to get back to where you were? Um, bef- uh, well, before we do sound check, we usually try to do a line check, and at that point, I try to get all the levels. The same, mm-hmm. uh, f- as far as the gain structure goes, and once I'm there, it's pr- kind of it's kind of close. Right. But then you know, once everyone starts playing and they'll start adjusting their uh, you know volumes and stuff like that, um, it'll change a little bit. But everyone just tells me what to change, and then and then we're good. Um, what's the, in your opinion, what's the easiest console to get where you got to get on? Like, like what console? It's like okay, this is not going to be a pain in the ass today. Like, I I got this. Um, oh, the Yamaha consoles are great. Um, a lot of a lot of audio engineers uh, don't really like them, as far as uh, the sound, but they sound fine. Yeah. And um, and they're really uh, easy to use. Another interesting thing is the transmitter pack. Right, adds a different coloration to that whole thing. Yeah, like, we we don't travel with our own uh, transmitter packs, so uh, we use whatever they have for us. And there's the two main brands we get are Sennheiser and Shure, and uh, they sound a little bit different. They do. I mean, yeah, like I think because we get the Sennheiser most of the time, that seems to be more standardized. Yeah, like our, our mixes are, like or your your mix is sort of optimized for that. And then when we get the other one, it sounds like a little different. Everybody gets like, whoa, why is this, you know? No. And, it, and it really shouldn't be a tonal change because it should just be a pass-through. But it, you're going through another piece of gear. It's yeah, going they, to affect it. No, it, those, those packs sound very different. And um, another thing is if you ever looked on stage and saw like the big paddle or the big little like satellite tube, <laughs> like plastic right. tube looking thing, what that is, um, every one of these transmitter packs, like the, the, the pack goes on your belt uh, that's that's a receiver, 
Um, it's a that's a receiver pack, I should say, because that receives the audio. The transmitter is in a rack somewhere, and it has antennas built into it. The problem is, on these bigger gigs, you might be a hundred feet away from where the monitor position is. So what they do is they make these remote antennas that can go right on the stage, regardless of where the monitor desk is. Well, the other thing is that the, these antennas, the the they're powered too. It it um it so actually it makes it, bo- it boosts the signal as well. So that's what that is. We're uncovering a lot of interesting things today. I think it's interesting. Uh, I hope the listeners think it's interesting. Um, but as Andy said, it's the Richie show. And I don't really care. Uh, no, the, uh, so uh, another thing I want to talk about is since we have a lot of musicians who play gigs, um, this is how you get into this. There are different levels. If you're in a band and say you're the only guy that wants to do any of your monitors and no one else wants to do it, Get one of these personal systems, like the Shure PSM 200. They don't make it anymore, but... They don't make the 200 anymore? No, but you get something... There's things that are equivalent to that. Right. And that's a system where you're self-contained. You plug your own mic and instrument into there. Um, that goes, splits out to the PA, doesn't affect anything else, and you mix yourself. And let me tell you, the first... I, I do think that any of your monitors have a learning curve. Mm-hmm. especially for guitar yeah. players who are used to hearing their guitar a certain way from the stage because what happens is you get this big sort of, you know, uh, mushy, mm-hmm. like, blankety sound. Even and, singers, too. Yeah, but you get this, like, big, like, warm, blankety sound and then that all gets funneled through a microphone, usually a cheap microphone, <laughs> and it goes from, like, this woo to... Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually something that I'm lucky enough that they let me do... I move my microphone on the amp. That's very, very important to me. But that also comes from your uh, studio knowledge, where the, and that's a and that's a big thing that uh, in ear using in ear monitors for live is more like uh, being in a studio than it is being on a stage, and it's really tough to make that adjustment. Well, I was talking to um, Edgar Winter's guitar player. Mm-hmm. Why am I? Gre- uh, why am I drawing a blank on his name right now? He's like my favorite guitar player. Oh my god! Okay, it'll come to me. Um, I, I he's like he's like my favorite guitar player. He I is. Can't, I can't believe I, I, I'm I'm not. Do you want to look it up and pause? I'm looking, I'm looking it up really quick. Look it up because I don't want to do that. Yeah. Oh, Doug Rapport. Just came to me. There you go. Right. So, um, Doug Rapport. Sorry, Doug. I love you, Doug. Anyway. Doug, uh, I was talking to him about in years because he was starting to get on them, right. and he hated the sound of his guitar. Yeah, and I said, "Well, you got to move the mics until they sound right." And he goes, "The house engineer doesn't want me doing that because he placed them for right. his mix." Right now, that's that's an important thing that that you know the house guy get the mix he needs and the sound he needs. But I'm lucky in that because that's what twenty thousand people hear. <laughs> right. Um, what Woody does with me, our sound engineer. Um, he basically lets me do my thing and then works with that. And also, I'm not the, the lead guitar player, so it doesn't really matter. I'm actually thinking but, of... But he, he also trusts you that you're going to move it in a, in a good spot to, that you want to represent your sound because you have experience in the studio and stuff like that. I also ask, I say, does this sound good? You know what I mean? Like, it's, can you work with this? Because I, I don't want, want to sound crappy. You know, I don't want to be unpleasant to listen to. Um, so I actually move it. I, I think eventually, though, I think I'm going to get away from using a cabinet altogether. Mm-hmm. I mean, Buck doesn't use a, a cabinet for his tone. No. That's just a little stage monitor. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, I want to do that, too. 
I think I'm going to maybe upgrade to a, a Line 6 Helix at some point and stop using the uh, speaker. I mean, I like the speaker just to have some of it. Yeah. And I could still probably do um, that. Yeah, we could definitely just, do just that. Just sp- split it up. But I Same think, way. That's the way Buck's doing it. Yeah, I'm just getting tired of the inconsistency from, like, cabinet to cabinet, night to night. And that's why I started using the pod live anyway, because of inconsistency. But there's still inconsistencies with the microphone, the speaker, the power in the place, the, the you know... Mixing console. Mixing console. And I just, I can't deal with it anymore. I, I got to have, like, the same thing. And I yeah, hate futzing. And, and I don't I don't EQ your guitar at all. So, um, but there is going to be a difference depending upon what the console we have. Yeah. You know, if we have a Yamaha, we have a digital design, if we have a, you know, it's going to it's gonna change the sound without even EQing it. So, if you want to get a, a rig, like I said, get your personal one, but, you know, be prepared to, if, if you're a guitar player, be prepared to experiment with the mic. Um, when I used to do gigs with our cover band, the mic wouldn't go out to the PA. That just went to my ears. Right. So, I could put that mic wherever I wanted, mm-hmm. I, and I put it in some strange spots. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like... I put it sort of sometimes far away. Just well, well, we already talked about how the the console uh, the the console colors the sound. Yeah. We also talked about how the pack colors the sound, yeah. and we also talked about how the earbuds color the sound. Right. So you you have three stages. And the microphone. That's right. That's going to change. That's going to change the sound. So you know you're going to have to experiment. Um, bass players, uh, it's very difficult to play bass with in ear monitors. Especially when you're used to feeling that bass, mm-hmm. if you, especially if there's no stage volume. Right. But a lot of bass players they'll have a little bit of stage volume. Mm-hmm. Um, from it's hard. I'm, it's hard because because the it's hard to get him loud. The, your bass loud enough for you to hear it. Right. In your in ears. Do you shelf out a lot of, a lot of low end on the bass when you're giving it to in ears? Not at all. Really? Because that's I, what that's what I would do. I do I do like a shelf. Um, actually, I make it a little bit brighter. I have a little bump at 4K. Oh, so there you go. Yeah. I have a little bump at 4K. And then I, uh, I have a little compression going on, and I do cut out, I, like, I guess 50 and below, yeah. just, just for safety kind of reasons. My new thing is I cut the bass at 100 regardless. Do you know why I do that? <laughs> I do that with the toms. Oh, there you go. Because uh, I, I don't like to use gate too much because that, that could be very distracting if they keep on opening up. Right. Um, a for, gate is something that shuts the the uh, the signal over, shuts the mutes the channel at a the certain volume. At a certain volume. So, um, but the problem with with not using gates is that all the stage volume is making the drum rattle, right? And the skin vibrate. So, on like a big floor tom, you're gonna have this. Oh wow! The whole time. So That's you, annoying. Don't, you don't notice you don't notice it. Through big speakers or wedges, but with headphones, you're going to notice that. So I shelf out um, a lot of frequencies. You know, sometimes I go up to like 100 hertz and below uh, on the toms because you just really need to hear the attack. Right. So, um, oh, getting back to what I was saying, the um, and I might I might have a, a, a low cut on your guitar, but like at 60 or something, like not too high. I, I have a low cut on it too on my actual unit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, bar band, you can get your own little system that's, that splits out. But then when you start doing bigger gigs and say, like, for example, Amory's band, where everybody has the monitors now, they went out and bought a system. They and have that, a sound guy. They have a sound guy. Now, in that case, they don't have a dedicated monitor guy. The sound guy has to mix the, the band and mix their own personal monitors. That is a big job mm-hmm. because now he has not only the audience mix to worry about, but 
you know, five other mixes that have to sound great and can't distract the people. Um, what you need in a case like that, I wouldn't recommend everybody getting a personal uh, little thing. I mean, you can, and right. bands do it. But if you want to take that next step up where everybody can hear each other, you need a mixing console with auxes. And what you use the auxes for is um, an aux is like a separate bank of volume controls. The auxiliary send. Yeah. <laughs> that you can, it's like with the, the faders on a, on a mixing board, you raise a fader, like say I raise my guitar, and it goes out into the speakers. If I raise the aux on, or one of the auxes on that guitar channel, when I raise it, it only raises in the people's ears, whichever specific aux I'm using. So you need a board with enough auxes to mix your whole band. So if you have a four-piece band, you need, uh, you probably should get a console with six auxes. So you have four for the musicians and two for effects if you need them, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and that's that. That's when... And you definitely want to have... That's if you have a sound engineer. If you don't have a sound engineer, use the personal thing where you're doing it yourself. Yeah. Because then you could just go up to it, turn it... But however, actually, it's funny that I'm saying this because um, you mentioned how we do it on BandGeek. Certain consoles and certain interfaces like what I'm using give the artists or the performers, I should say, the ability to mix their own uh, you know, levels on an iPad or an iPhone. Yep. Um, so these consoles, they come with... Uh, the, or you could get a rack unit, too. Yeah. That doesn't even have doesn't knobs even have or knobs. anything. Um, like, yeah, for example, that the um, Mackie DLs, they have like multiple auxes that you can right. mix, and everybody... What you have to do is you have to bring a Wi-Fi router with you to the gig. Right. I mean, you just get... You put it in a rack, and you, yeah. you don't worry about it, but... It doesn't um, need to connect to the internet. No, it just, it's, a, it's a little personal Wi-Fi, like little area network, and... What you do is everybody with their tablets or their phones, they connect to this network and they're logged into the mixer and they just have the faders in front of them for their headphones and they don't that doesn't affect anything else. That's another route. That's that's if you're gonna do that, you wanna get everything rack mounted and set up so you can just roll up to the gig, open the lids and plug in. Like you don't mm-hmm. wanna be setting that up every gig because that's yeah. gonna take you forever. And that's, you know, that's that level. And the nice thing about those digital consoles that allow you to do that is you can also save your settings in those. Right. So you can show up to a gig. Like, for example, a really popular one is the PreSonus mm-hmm. Studio Live. Right. Um, that lets it, You can save your settings and you can show up and, and basically pick up where you left off from the last gig. But as Andy stated, it's very important that your gains are right. Um, on every channel, there is a preamp control. And if, for example, you have that preamp volume set too low then no matter what you do no matter what mix you recall you will always be too quiet in your in your ears correct or if it's too loud everything will distort all the time so that's like 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 andy said the first thing you do once the pas once the the rig and everything is set up is you have to get those correct gains so you're not too quiet or distorting you got to get right in that sweet spot and then the next step after that is what andy does is and you know you have you bring your cars with you and you use rental gear and you, you know, have a separate monitor desk and a separate, you know, front of house desk for the audience. And then you have one guy just manning that the whole night and another guy manning the audience mix and that's the next step. And there's another step up from there. And that's a band that tours with their own production. Now, for a band like this, it's great because you are using the same exact amps and, and the gear. same exact microphones. And, microphones. and a lot yeah. of these, uh, for example... 
a lot like uh, a lot of these bands the the microphones are attached to the cabinets mm-hmm. or mounted inside a drum or whatever right. so it's in exactly the same spot every night so you know once you roll everything out and set everything up everything theoretically should be exactly the same so you you know recall that preset from the previous night and you should be good to go yep like sticks i think was doing sticks. that um a lot of bands we play with boston um kansas oh yeah kansas travels with their own monitor console so that's what it is that's the deal um and then when you get really famous yeah. you get to hire a monitor engineer for your recording session right <laughs> And when you get even more famous than that, you have one monitor engineer that just does the singer right. and another monitor engineer that just does the rest of the band. Mm-hmm. So that's another split at that point. Right. Like, you know, I, I, you hear these like diva singers, they have to have their own monitor engineer mm-hmm. separate from the band. Right. Like that's just on well, them all night. I mean, it sounds like a diva thing, but at the same time, we're talking about something that is very, very it's your hearing, yeah. you know, and, and there's, it's one thing to, to stand next to a speaker, but it's another thing to put a speaker inside your ear and, you know, people, people could, you know, lose their hearing if, if, so, if something's not handled correctly, um, uh, not to name any names, but I know someone that was, uh, working at a, uh, a news station and the news pe- news anchors have the little earpiece in there it's called an ifb we won't get into that interruptible feedback whatever anyway um and uh someone hit a wrong button and zapped a one hertz one uh, k tone into that anchor's ear and they lost their hearing oh my in god in that ear so it, it it's you know it sounds like oh this person needs their own thing but oh you're you're you're, you're it's it could be dangerous and, and one piece of closing advice I like to give people who are just getting into in-ear monitors. Be, be careful. Um, make them as quiet as you can stand. Like, don't don't set them up at the same level as you do when you're listening to music. Right. Basically, you want them to be earplugs, and you want to sneak in the things that you wish you could hear more of. when you. So pretend like they're earplugs and start with nothing, and then sneak in the things that you wish you could hear more of, generally what you are playing. And if you have to harmonize with someone else, like... Having a full mix is great, but the temptation to make that volume loud is is really it's tough. So it's part of the learning curve. Yeah, and, and and I still probably make my ear my in ears too loud, but um I I always try to you know once the gig is rolling and I'm comfortable, I always back off on the on the volume a little bit and, and try to make it as low as possible. And you know what? That's the same philosophy I use when mixing. Mm-hmm. I make when I'm mixing something, I make the volume as low as I could stand it. It's fatigue. Yep, because you don't want it. You don't want your ears once they're gone. That's it. So, so be safe out there. To what the flower people say. When I told Andy, <laughs> listen. When I told Andy I want to do a, a podcast on in your monitors, like let's do listen to the, <laughs> to the flower people. <laughs> listen. Like a bolt out of the blue. Ah, listen, it could be calling out for you. Oh, 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 oh it says that. Oh, it's. Oh, it's. It's A. Flower people 
It's not too late. No, it's not too late. Things. We're never going to play any good music ever again. You know what, Band Geeks? Um, we're, Andy and I are going on tour. We're going to Europe soon. So when we come back, we'll do some good music again. This is, what is this nonsense. Although, you know what? I deserve a break after doing I Get Around. That was that was ridiculous. That was. In the middle of doing that po- that show, I was like, what am I doing? This is crazy. This is nuts. Anyway, also, if you want to see something really cool, go to Andy's Facebook page. He just did a Stefan Rembel uh, Bistro Fada from Midnight in Paris. Poor, poorly. No, no, it's good. Uh, uh, okay. I think cool. it's really good. He did like a split screen four track thing. I used it's an awesome. app. What app did you use? Uh, acapella app. And, and it does thirty seconds. It it uh you could do up to a it's up to a minute. So but why then, do I do thirty seconds? But then you could do uh, <laughs> but then if you pay, you could unlock longer time. But it's great. You just like hit the record button. You do the one thing, and then you hit the other square and do the other one. That's awesome. How, how long did it take you to do that uh, split screen thing? <laughs> I get around? <laughs> no, don't just say. Oh, but he like, raps took me a raps. week, but yeah. Yeah, now you can do it in an app. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> All right. I, I hope everybody um, enjoyed this little uh, explanation about in ear or discussion about in ear monitors. I just thought it was interesting, and I know a lot of people who aren't really you know into this as much as we are. It's the tech episode. Yeah, they, they, they're curious about why. Why those guys? And and another thing is, people always ask us, why do they pull out the ears all the time? Mm, interesting. I mean, sometimes as a singer, I know, like if I'm hearing things weird, and and it's and this is not necessarily the fault of um, it's not necessarily the fault of the engineer. It's just the singer could have like a weird day, or something could be strange in the venue. You'll pull it out so you can hear Some, a little bit. Sometimes you just want to hear the audience too. Well, for example, Rick Nielsen only keeps one. Monitor in. He right. only has a mono mix one ear. And some he, and some people do that. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people that do that. So they actually sell a mono one too. They do. Yeah. I want to get two of those. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you for listening. Uh, please use our Amazon app. Also, if you want to throw the Band Geeks a little love, you can also do it without buying something from Amazon by going to richiecastellano.com/tipjar, and that's uh, straightforward. PayPal, no BS. So uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Andy, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge on this. Uh, I I learned some stuff today. Nice. um, I'm I'm happy to be here. Yes. (laughs) I'm I'm happy you're here, Andy. I'm glad you're with me, Sam. Yeah, we we have to do something good next time. You know what? Screw that. Flower People is great. Hey, you know what? I got one. I got one. This is going to be terrible. But we should really do this for real on the show. But. How do you like that thing? It's good. Oh, I don't want to sing. I hear, I hear the drums echoing tonight, but she is only whispers of some quiet conversation. She's coming in 12:30 flight. Reflect the stars that guide me toward salvation. Mm-hmm.
along the way Hoping to find some long forgotten words Or ancient melodies He turned to me as if to say Hurry boy, it's waiting there for you I need more of my vocal in my headphones. That's too freaking bad. <laughs> Where's the monitor engineer? You know what? This is BS because we did like one verse from a song last week. Okay, whatever. Whatever. It's, it's good. You got something, all right? Yes. <laughs> got something. All right, thanks for listening to Band Geek. See you next time. <laughs>